The Optometry Talks podcast series is brought to you by Optometry New South Wales ACT, your peak professional body. Welcome to episode two of Optometry Talks. Help, I've just been audited by Medicare. I'm Audrey Malloy from Optometry New South Wales ACT, and I'm talking today with Andrew McKinnon and Paula Katalinik about what optometrists need to know about the Medicare audit process. Andrew and Paula have been core members of the team at Optometry New South Wales ACT for decades and have been involved in supporting members through countless Medicare audits. Welcome, Andrew and Paula. Hi, Audrey. Audrey. Andrew, we'll start with you. I get the impression that Medicare audit is on the increase. Is this true? And if so, why is this the case? It is true. Over the years, we've seen a steady increase in audit activity. And the federal government, a few years ago now, uh, committed very significant increases in funding for anti-fraud prevention and detection. So there has been a very large investment in computer algorithms, which monitor billing behaviour, and just generally a lot more compliance activity, not only around optometry, around all Medicare billable professions. So yes, definitely an increase over over the time. Okay. And so um, do most people pass their audit or, you know, do you have any sense of how the audits go for the general profession? For the majority of members, um, it will be a very short process. They'll get uh, a quick phone call, and I'll, I'll explain a bit more about that later. Quick phone call, they'll give a very reasonable answer. The consultant will go, thank you very much, and that will be the end of it. So yes, for the vast majority, it will be a short and relatively painless process. Okay. Um, so what do you think the most common reasons are that, that optometrists are audited by Medicare? If we look at what comes through and, and the reasons that are given in the documents that members get, we see different billing profiles compared to their peers uh, because it's a statistical analysis. So we're dealing with a normal distribution curve, a bell curve, which means that um, statistically in the middle, half fall below it, half fall above it. Um, So if you're in the half, which looks different to your peers, then you can expect some level of interest from Medicare. And I should say it's not just in the half, it's up the, it's at the upper end of, okay. of services. Okay. Um, if you change your billing pattern, so again, this is one of the ones that we see very frequently. You might be billing, as an example, 5% of your total consultations might be a 10913. And then all of a sudden, it becomes 25% of your consultations. Mm. That will trigger a question. They will want to know why that's occurred. Um, now, usually there are very good reasons for doing that, um, and I think Paul is going to talk about that in a minute, but it's that change, it's, it's a statistical process. So any significant change in your profile is going to trigger a query. So Paula, when Andrew says there are genuine reasons for these differences in the profiles, can you give me some examples of that? Well, some of the common reasons that we've seen, um, firstly, a big one would be that the optometrist has a particular area of interest. So they might be seeing a lot of children as part of their practice. So that tends to set them at the top of the bell curve from Medicare's perspective and could potentially trigger an audit. Um, And it's not that they're doing anything incorrectly, they just happen to have a specialty uh, area of interest. 
Uh, another one would be that they might be involved in shared care arrangements with, say, a local GP or ophthalmologist. So they might be co-located next to a GP practice, for instance, and therefore be doing a lot more short initial consultations for foreign bodies or uh, monitoring response to treatment for red eyes. That's a common one. So that could potentially push up their 918s or 916s. Some optometrists are more heavily involved in managing chronic eye conditions like macular degeneration. Um, that one reason might be that they're in rural practice and they're located a long way from ophthalmologists, so they tend to take on a lot more of that chronic uh, eye disease management. Um, or they potentially have something like an OCT, which allows them to monitor eye diseases for a, a lot longer before they actually have to refer the patient because they can do that with more confidence uh, and know that no treatment's required. Okay, so there's plenty of good, genuine reasons why their their billing profile will look a little bit different to their peers, and that doesn't mean they've got anything to worry about. Absolutely, yeah. So, Andrew, tell us about the process. Does it start with a letter or an email? What 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 can an optometrist expect from this audit process? It starts always with an email, and that email will set up a phone call with the Medicare consultant, currently Steve Kwok. In that, uh, Steve will identify variances in your profile, he'll, so he'll tell you why the call is, is happening, and ask you for your commentary. So, can you explain to me why you look different to your peers in, in this or these areas? And if your explanation is satisfactory, Steve will say, thank you very much for your time, off he'll go, that will be the end of the process. If that doesn't end there, if the explanation isn't adequate, and in fairness I would say probably in a majority of cases it won't end there because it has to be a, to end at that stage, it has to be a very, very clear and demonstrable reason why your profile is different. And that doesn't happen all the time. So I would say in a majority of cases you'll go to step two. Um, step two is, is a letter saying, didn't really get the explanation you gave me, can you expand? Now that's where most of them will end with the letter because you'll write back with more information, probably with examples of, of why things look different and Medicare will go, yep, thank you very much. Now, if it doesn't end there, then we start to get a little bit more agitated. What will then happen is that you'll be asked for patient samples. So Medicare will say, can you please give us a small sample? It's usually only 10 or so. And they will refer those to a consultant, the Medicare consultant. The Medicare consultant, um, as opposed to the Medicare advisor, is a practicing optometrist um, who will look at what you have been given um, compared to the query that's been raised and see if there's a reasonable explanation for what it is that you're being asked about. And who gets to choose that sample? Does the, does the optometrist get to choose their own, make their own choice of these 10 cases or does Medicare dictate which 10 cases they want? Medicare will dictate. Okay, so they, you don't have control over which, no. which ones they see? No. They might no. choose the most suspicious looking ones, for example. They could. Okay. They could. Um, if that, again, if uh, the answer there, the reviewer is satisfied, it ends. Um, if not, we're now getting into very serious territory and we we'll, might cover that off in a minute. Okay, so at the first step where they get that initial email, what should an optometrist do? Ring us. <laughs> I, I can't make that any plainer or any stronger. 
the majority of people who find themselves in trouble, as in they go a long way into the process, did not contact us at the first instance. And that's where a lot of the problems start. Um, there are certain ways to answer questions. And if you answer it the wrong way, one of the guarantees I can give you is that it won't end quickly. So by, by responding to this initial email themselves, that's not a good idea? No. They should, they should talk to us first. We'll give them some guidance as to how it will go, the sorts of things that, that Medicare will be looking for. The language around The, the language yeah. around it, that sort of thing. Oh, yeah. Okay. One thing that we find happens is that when people get the initial call, the initial contact, they have an emotional response. Someone is challenging my professional integrity. It's perfectly, perfectly normal response. Um, but what then happens is they write back an emotive reply, and that's where the problem starts. People don't answer the question, they defend their integrity. And so that means that the question remains unanswered. And so that's often why the process, process continues on. So what we can help you do is because we're not emotionally invested in it, we can take that out, we can make sure that you've addressed the issues and answered the questions, and therefore you get a good story across rather than an emotional defense of you as a professional. So Paula, in your experience, what is a, a common mistake that you that optometrists make when, in, in uh, leading to a Medicare audit? Well, one of the, the problems that comes to light when we've been helping members with this audit process is poor or suboptimal clinical record keeping. And it's not that they haven't done the tests. They've definitely done the tests, but the record just doesn't reflect the thought process that they had when the patient was sitting in the chair. So when you go back and actually just look at the clinical record in isolation, it doesn't really tell the whole story. Um, some of the examples of this would be not clearly recording in the record what prompted the need for the reassessment or the need for a comprehensive assessment. So sometimes the clinical record just doesn't justify that clinical um, billing, uh, billing, I should say, for a comprehensive reassessment. Another one is just not having a clear management plan noted at the end of the clinical record, um, giving an outline of what was re recommended and what the follow-up time was and whether you referred to an ophthalmologist or not. So the, the whole story isn't told by the record card, so that can be problematic. And so do you find a situation where an optometrist can almost blame the, the record keeping system or a record card for why they didn't record this information properly? Mm. Yeah, I mean, it's tempting to do that, but I think we almost need to do homework before we go in and locum, and I've done a bit of locuming myself, and, and it can be really daunting when you get a new clinical record system that you're not familiar with. You almost need to go in a bit early and understand the system because it's you still need to record these findings in a coherent way so that the handover back to the next optometrist um, can happen um, without any problems. That's clearly communicated. Look, you're right. Um, we've seen a number of cases where that very thing, the the lack of clarity around how records are to be recorded becomes a problem. Mm -hmm. Ultimately, at the end of the day, it is the responsibility of the optometrist to make sure their clinical findings are recorded. Um, we've had ones where there are really odd systems being used and it, it is very unclear where you should be putting things, but you have to put things somewhere. Every, every system computerised, cards are obvious, but 
a computerized system will have a field somewhere, a text field somewhere, where you can just write things. Might not be on the first screen, it might be on the second screen, but wherever it is, if there's nowhere else to put it, you have to find that text field and put it in the field. It has to appear somewhere. Okay, and so Andrew, have you seen any other common mistakes? Firstly, don't confuse Medicare with an appropriate standard of care. They're not the same. Medicare is a funding model which the federal government set up many years ago. It pays money for certain things. It is not reflective of a good standard of care. Necessarily, sometimes it is, but it, the, the nexus is not there. It's, it, they're not the same thing. Um, a lot of optometrists think that if Medicare won't pay for it, they don't have to do it. That is categorically not true. Um, if you, if in your clinical opinion, a, a test or examination is necessary, then you must do it. And if Medicare won't pay for it, the answer is very simple. It's either a private billing or you do it without charge if you don't want to privately bill. So Andrew, is there anywhere else that the optometrist can go to get more information on how to bill these item numbers correctly? The MBS schedule should be your Bible. Um, that schedule has the descriptors of each of the items and it also has in clause, I think it's O unless they have changed it, um, reasonably detailed examples of when billings are appropriate. There's, there's quite a bit of guidance in that. If you're still not sure, again, ring the association and we can help. But the Medicare, the Medicare benefit schedule has a lot of information. Okay, so Paula, can you give can you give us some examples of where those little details in the descriptors can make a big difference? Sure. Um, one of the things that I've noticed is that I've heard a few times where practices will put up a summary sheet of the item numbers, and that and it's almost it's very easy to forget about the small phrases that are in the longer item descriptors if you just have say one zero nine one three new signs and symptoms pinned up against uh, the front desk. So it's very easy to forget phrases like requiring comprehensive assessment. So we find that like for the item 10914, it's, uh, an assessment um, which it's, it's where a, a comprehensive reassessment is, is um, necessitated. Um, so if you have a patient, for instance, who's got glaucoma, you might do a comprehensive assessment every six to 12 months, but you'll be getting them back for a shorter consult to measure AOPs, response to their new medications or do visual field tests. Just because they have glaucoma doesn't mean that we can do a 914 at, at every visit um, because you have to justify the requiring of a comprehensive reassessment each time you have that patient in the chair and bill that item number. So you're saying if you're billing a 914, it's not enough that they have a progressive condition. There actually has to be a requirement to do a comprehensive re-evaluation each time that item is built. Exactly. Okay. And we've seen this flag in Medicare audits a number of times mm -hmm. where they had a number of 914 inside, 914s, I should say, in short succession. Oh, okay. Um, not realising or just forgetting that little phrase that it needs to be a comprehensive reassessment. Paula, that's a really good point. And there's another one which is a great example of this, which is the, the fields item. So the fields item says, says a whole lot of things, but then it goes on to say, with assessment and report. Mm -hmm. Now, you might know what it is that you're seeing in the field plot, and you might know what it is that you want to do with that patient. If you don't write it in your record card, 
you have not assessed it, as in you haven't written down your assessment, and you haven't reported on it. But if you don't write it down, you can't even staple the field plot to the record card and say, that's my assessment and report. It's not. That's been held to be not the case before. So you do have to read the descriptors, as Paula said, and you have to comply with them. If the descriptor says print on pink paper, blue is not good enough. It's, it's literally that black and white. That's a really good point. And just that 940 item number, another one that's, that's a bit of a sticking point is the presence of relevant ocular disease or suspected pathology of the visual pathways or brain. So it's all about documenting that condition that led to you performing the visual field test. If you don't have that recorded, if you just have a visual field attached and you've billed for it with no suspected condition recorded, um, then Medicare is unable to see the logic as to what led to that that particular visual field and it'll be considered as over-servicing. Uh, and another one that's been a problem as well has been the 913, um, having to have been, the patient has to have been in the same practice. So currently that means within the same practice, not within any practice within the same corporate optometry group. Would you agree, Andrew? Yes, yeah. yes, we, we went through one not long ago where even though the practices are linked and you can see the full patient record, if they haven't physically been in your practice before, it is not the same practice. Oh, I see. Um, Paula, just coming back to the to the 10940, the field item number, I have heard some confusing information around this that, and I'm not quite sure myself, you might be able to throw some light on it. If you do a field test for good reason and you find the field test to be completely clear, mm -hmm. can you still bill Medicare for that test? Absolutely. If you had some form of suspected, you know, ocular disease or maybe some, you're suspecting something in the brain like a stroke and it turned out to be clear, you can still bill that field test because you had, you've met that part of the item descriptor. And so what would my record card have to show in order for that billing so to So you would just have to record um, the suspected condition, the field was clear and then, then the, whatever the management okay. is that flows on after your full comprehensive okay. examination. What about if you did a screening and that flagged uh, that flagged something abnormal? Would that be grounds to suspect that there's a um, something going on in the visual pathways or is that really a grey area? It is a bit of a grey area, but if you were looking at that field test and you thought there's a clear cut, you know, something that's respecting the vertical midline and you suspected a disease like like a stroke, for instance. Okay. I think you could justify that. But rather, if you yeah, rather than just if a you few, saw just a few little scattered spots, I think that would be very that would not be okay. justified. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, well that's good advice. So okay, what happens, Andrew, if my response to Medicare is not to their satisfaction? What what's the sort of end of the line process here? So the, the end game here is what's called a professional services review panel. Um, not many get to that. Um, I've been involved with three, about to be four, um, over the 23 years that I've been here. So you can see it, it's a reasonably rare occurrence. Uh, but it is a very formal and daunting process and not one that anyone wants to go near. Um, it has very, very serious consequences. Um, a lot of money can be required to be repaid. There can be uh, limitations put on your registration. In serious cases, they could suspend or remove your registration. So to get to that point is a very, very serious issue, but it's it's not something that happens very often. And usually, unless someone is just blatantly doing the wrong thing, um, it's, it's hard to get to that stage if we have worked with you right the way through. And, and again, I'll reinforce that. If, we're, we, if we are working with you, um, 
you stand a far better chance of not getting to PSR stage than if you do it on your own. And we have had that said to us by people who've been involved in the process in years past. Oh, so, I mean, that sounds quite drastic, having your, potentially having your registration um, taken away at the, you know, at the ab- absolute worst. Are there other consequences um, for optometrists who get to that stage um, and, are, and Medicare is not happy with the, with the results? Certainly. Um, the biggest consequence is, is paying, back, paying back money. Okay. And the, the way this works is uh, possibly unfair, but it's how the, how the legislation is written, is that Medicare will give you, if this is now at PSR stage, they'll give you a sample of generally 50 to 60 patients. And you will then sit in a hearing room for probably the better part of two days, and you will be taken through every patient line by line to ask why you build item X in this particular circumstance. At the end of that, uh, the panel, which is made up of optometrists, practicing optometrists, um, will go away and they will make an assessment of how many of the sample fit the criteria or are not appropriate, the billing was inappropriate. What they then do is they then extrapolate that finding. So let's say, let's assume it's exactly 50% and the item in question is 10914. So of the sample that you gave them, the 60, 50% of them are found to be inappropriate billings. They then extrapolate that 50% out to all your 914 billings in the sample period, which is generally two years. So let's say you've done 100 914s, they will find that 50% of them statistically were inappropriate and you'll be required to pay the money back for that 50%. And do you have to pay back just the difference between the 914 and what you should have billed, like a, a 918? Um, is it just the difference that you pay back to Medicare? No, it's the full amount. Even if there was another valid item number. For example, we had, in the last case we handled, quite a number where a 910 could have been billed. So exactly the same amount of money Medicare would have paid and there would have been no question whatsoever about the billing of a 910. The answer was, give us back the money because the 914 was inappropriate. Wow, so this can run to thousands or tens of thousands? Tens of thousands easily. Okay. Andrew, in the event of an audit, what should a member do? If a member's being audited or queried by anyone, be it Medicare, a health fund, APRA or anybody else, the best advice I can give them is to make immediate contact with the association and seek our support. This can be done through either the state office or through the national member support team. But my plea is please get advice before you make any response. Most optometrists will only ever, at worst, experience one of these audits in their life. Um, Between the team within uh, Optometry New South Wales and and our national colleagues as well, Luke Arundel and his team, we have seen it literally hundreds of times. Um, We know what to look for, we know the language to use, we know where the pitfalls are, and we are, without doubt, Uh, your best shot of getting this resolved quickly and amicably and of saving you a lot of stress. The very first thing you do is you pick up the phone and say, can you give me a hand, please? And it sounds like in most cases it is a straightforward process. It's just a question of defining why you've done a particular thing and that's the end of it. Yep, it is. And and we will, sometimes you need help to identify why you've done it. Um, We'll talk through the logic with you because we've got Audrey and Paula who are both practicing optometrists, they'll talk you through the logic of why and that will often be enough to help you make the appropriate response early in the piece and that will be the end of it. 
Andrew and Paula, thank you so much for sharing your knowledge with us today. We'll be following up soon with another podcast on other types of audit, such as health funds and CPD. And uh, that's it for today. Thanks, Audrey. Thanks, Audrey. This episode of Optometry Talks was brought to you compliments of Optometry New South Wales ACT. 